0: Good evening. G'day mate, how are things? Good. Tell me what's on your mind this week.
1: Well, I was thinking this week, have you heard about the new Taylor Swift album at all?
0: No, I can't say I'm a Taylor Swift fan.
1: You're not a devotee? No. You're not part of the Swift army?
0: TS army? I was part of the Swift army through oh, our first podcast who, episode, who, Tom Hiddleston. Who wasn't? That was a very popular bandwagon to be on, but- Is that a backhanded compliment or a neg where you're basically saying- Yeah. I was part of the masses. Probably. Probably. Right.
1: But I do recall that she released a much anticipated single, which I recall listening to and thinking, "Mm, not a great song. And it was accompanied by a quite expensive film clip, which was a sort of a FU to the media intrusion and gossiping about her personal life, which I sort of didn't really like much. I thought that was a bit obvious a thing to do and not particularly creative And I sort of kind of didn't think too much about the single because I thought there would be more excitement about the album and more follow-up and there'd be another single because her last album was really good and there was, you know, maybe five or six really strong songs on it. And I was just caught myself thinking maybe she hasn't actually released an album. Maybe that was just a single and maybe that's what people do these days. They just release singles and they get watched on Vivo and YouTube and downloaded either through paid downloads or through subscription streaming services and then in six months' time, someone will actually go on tour and there might not actually be an album to tour. There will just be the back catalogue. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's about theory. I mean, the way things are changing that you can have basically that one signal to kind of just slightly reignite your career and keep you current. It's like rather than having perhaps 10 average songs – you might just have one big song, just to try and keep the heat going a little bit. So yeah. rather than wait an extra two years for the whole album, yeah, you just release more songs more frequently rather than at once. And if you think about it, it does make sense with the way that we consume content, like we tweet, we Instagram, we Facebook in piecemeal. So the idea of just releasing songs less frequently when stuff isn't bought in an album like it used to be bought is consumed yeah. piece by piece, song by song. Mm. It's probably more licensed to do it per sale and it's probably more profitable as well. Yeah. And you do hear these stories about artists
1: over time who got too busy touring on the success of their initial album or their, or their big breakthrough album that was so popular that they just kept touring for three years straight and they didn't get any time to write new songs. And then by the time they- were able to take a break from the touring. Three or four years have passed since their album had come out, which probably translate to five or six years since they actually wrote the album or recorded the album and they've forgotten how to do it. It makes that next follow-up that much harder and by the time you actually release something, it's pretty shit and people just want to hear your old stuff again and so, you kind of wonder what was all worth it and then also after that, all that initial success, normally the record companies have pretty high creative control over what you do put out and they'll spend a lot of money on producers or backing singers or guest singers or backing musicians and you know, they'll send you to all these great studios and all these faraway places to record to get the creative users flowing at huge expense and they'll want their money back. And, um, yeah, I just think it's an interesting idea now that these artists like Taylor Swift or Justin Bieber will spend several million dollars on a film clip for one song.
0: Before you go on, you've just described it very succinctly a pessimist cradle-to-the-grave career for a musician. It's like the perfect speech, like the Cliff Notes speech, that her father would give to his teenage daughter saying, yeah, so you want to be a rock star. Right, this is what happens. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Yeah, but you were saying about Justin Bieber.
1: Oh, yeah. So these artists like Bieber and Swift, they'll spend two or three million bucks I mean, you're, you've got more of a judge on this kind of thing than me, but I'm, I'm guessing million dollars plus for one of these film clips, I would have thought.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think- Which people then can just watch for free on YouTube. Yeah, but what they do now is you actually profit from the advertising revenue of YouTube. So, Mr. Gangnam Style, right. think Psy, I think that song was watched, I don't know, 200, Young 300, style. 500 million times. He would make all of his money- through the advertising revenue on YouTube rather than actually through the sales of the song. So, So, it's not as profitable as selling a song for 99 cents on iTunes. But if people are watching it for free, quote, anyway, but they're paying by being patient to tolerate a pre-roll advertisement on YouTube, part of that money, and we're talking like cents in the dollar or half a cent, whatever, goes to him. And I'm not sure if he would have made as much as he would have if he had been as famous 15, 20 years ago Mm. doing the same song, but he would have made a lot of coin from YouTube advertising revenue.
1: If you have a breakout here that's that's watched tens of millions of times, you still make a fair bit of money out of that.
0: Yeah, it ends up being about a dollar per thousand views or 10,000 views. ends up being about a $1,000 per million views is the equation. So, is it Goitier? Goitier? Goitier. Goitier. He would have made all of his money from that captivating music video going viral where people like the song, they also like the music video, and kids use YouTube these days like- the radio used to be used, mm. just playing in on the background mm. on your computer, playing on your iPhone mm. rather than having, you know, I mean, why would you listen to the radio right. or you've got to wait for your song to come on where you can just play it legitimately, like they're not even illegally downloading oh, it.
1: but what about when you were a kid and you used to like try and ring up to request your favourite song? Yeah. It,
0: even better. Like Use Your Illusion. Yeah. When it came out. <laughs> yeah. Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. And 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, it's funny. Um, I'm just looking at Taylor Swift's releases. She's released- for a album called Reputation, she released her singles, six of them in total, two months apart. Oh, well, one in August, then October, then November, later wow. in November. So the, it came January, out in August March. last year. March. So you might have heard Delicate, her sixth and last song on the album. And by the way, it's only six tracks on the album, so it's still a pretty short album. And that was the 12th of March this year, was the second and last. So basically, she oh, spent okay. seven months releasing six songs. So, yeah, mate. So, that's so, that. Yes, yeah, so there you go. Six songs in seven months. But I think it comes back to that point we talked about before, which is we consume content individually these days, which then removes the necessity for the album model. And we consume content individually but in other packages like through subscription services like Spotify, Netflix, if you're in America, Hulu, Apple Music.
1: Gone are the days of rushing down to the – local record store where you will have seen the signs in the weeks leading up to it announcing, you know, the new So and So album by Guns N' Roses or by whoever the big band was at the time is being released on this day. You probably even pre ordered your copy of it. So it's there waiting for you when you go and pick it up. And then you'd go home and you'd listen to it probably three times straight through while you lay on the floor reading the um reading the lyrics on the on the inlay card.
0: You'd lie on the ground reading Smash yeah. Hits magazine, kicking your heels behind you mm-hmm. with lying in your stomach. Yep. Exactly. uh, Like a teenage girl from the babysitter club club books
1: (laughs) Yeah (laughs) Nodding your head from side to side Maybe jumping and playing a bit of air guitar with a tennis racket or the cricket bat But those days are over I mean now it's just consumption It's just meaningless streaming through all parts of the house
0: Okay okay. Short attention spans Okay There's a a bit to unpack there Um, Let's walk it back Let's walk it back old man I can't comment for the album experience because I'm embarrassed to say I was a mixtape brother all the time. So I never really got the idea. I know this puts me in a minority. I was never a music person because if we walk this right back, my parents have never in their lives been into music, so we never had any music in the house. So Dad never had music in his life. Doesn't get music. I think he had two CDs or two tapes that his mate who worked in the music industry gave him, which were like Thriller and John Farnham, Greatest Hits. And somewhere he'd just listen to something that was given to him once every three years. Yeah, Play it only on uh, New Year's Eve and never again. So, in our house when I was growing up, they were divorced. So, when I'd spent weekends with him. We never had any music at all. Nothing. Like, nothing, not even radio. I think he found that kind of annoying and he's a sports guy. But even doing jobs in the garden, he'd never like play music on a outdoor radio. He just didn't like music. And it's interesting. My mum was the same. She might appreciate music being music played like jazz in the background like 40s jazz or sinatra at my grandmother's house her mother's house but not enough to actually buy anything and so she didn't play music and also she was so frugal being a single mother and just being quite frugal in general she never liked to actually buy music which means we never had any music so it was always um national public broadcasting abc radio and that was always usually classical music as background so i never experienced movies or music in my life Movies are the same reason. So, my experience was always a mixtape experience where I'd hear pop compilations. So, I go to uni where people like would have bands they'd recommend and they'd listen to the whole album. And I was always like, yeah, but I like two of their songs. Mm. So, why can't I hear two of their songs from that album, one song from their previous album, and these other 15 songs from 15 other artists. Yeah. So, I never really got into that vibe, which makes me a minority. But in this era of subscription music services where you hear a diversity in music like either through that radio streaming where you put in your genres that you like and it uses artificial intelligence to play music of that genre. Yeah. Or I'd listen to mixtapes as in mixed albums – so in recent years I really got into listening to the whole album by one artist. Yeah. That's interesting, Benny. Because um
1: you are quite a creative person at heart. So you sort of it's through no sort of nurturing creative environment that you've become this way. It's more a path that you've sort of been interested in off your own bat.
0: Yeah, I discovered yeah. all movies and all music post eighteen. So oh, I had right. never seen anything. I saw half of Jaws on video before Dad realized. <laughs> That we were watching it. He yeah. left it out. He'd hired- He had a beta video player, which a friend gave him. And so, there were only like five videos he'd get on beta at the time.
1: Look, keep of that. So
0: yeah, that's right. He also got this leather Jim Beam jacket that he wore for a Proud Boy. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like a bomber jacket? <laughs> bomber jacket with that kind of- You know that, that branded insignia at the back? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Classy. Uh, Jim Beam. Yeah, Jim Beam. So- my experience with the music and movies always came post school. But then I got into it, of course. And by the time I started getting into albums a lot, yeah. C D burning was becoming big. And being at uni for oh, yeah, people was there's always the IT nerd guy who had the first writable CD burner. So he'd do like CDs for everyone from you know one person. And you just had to pay him the four dollars the writable C D cost. Yeah. yeah. Like even then it was cheap. So coming back to your point about subscription music services here's something that's cool about it which you couldn't get with hard media when you join spotify or google music or uh, apple music you put in your likes with apple music you basically put in your genres then it says what bands do you like And so you click the bands and the more you click it keeps bringing up other options so you keep going for as long as you want and it's gradually narrowing in further and further what it does though is of course, you can play those bands with that Google Music and all of those and Spotify. You can play the world's catalog of music. But I think it's 40 million songs on Google Play and 60 million on Apple Music and Spotify. So everything you want is there. I've never not found an album or a song, no mm-hmm. matter how obscure. Like I looked up the Frosty the Snowman song at Christmas time for the kids. That's mm-hmm. there. It'll say, if you like music by David Cutter, you'll like these songs. If you like music by Porter's Head, You'll like these and it just plays those and it'll play a variety of songs by bands of the same thing hmm. or it'll have like indie cafe Sunday mix or yeah. Yeah. coffee blend. I mix.
1: was going to say, it's handy when you're at a barbecue or you've got some friends around and you just go, you just put on a dinner party mix or a late night bar mix or whatever and it plays songs where chances are at least one of the people at the party will know every song. Or most people, say 60% of the people there will know, say three out of four songs. Like, oh, it's just like, it's just catchy. It's like sitting in a pub or sitting in a bar and music sort of just washes over you. Occasionally you'll hear a song that
0: you'll think of, but otherwise it's just sort of, it's just there in the background. And that's why I think it's good. It's like radio mm. without advertisements. Yeah. And you know how much I hate advertisements. so. From that point of view, anything that lets me watch TV or watch movies or listen to music without any ads at all, which is why I get YouTube read to avoid ads. So, I like that about, say, Spotify and Apple Music. I use Apple Music and Google Music. What I like about it is that you can choose the mood specifically. And as you say, it washes over you. But I can type in chilled out tunes, listening to music while working. And I'll play songs without lyrics. Yeah, that's good. And I can just play in the background. It might be like a massive attack instrumental.
1: But can you do that on any of those services? Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: So, tell me, what do you not like about it? Why is it the death of culture? Maybe I just haven't sort of been
1: exposed to how... I just finished a th- two month or six week subscription, free subscription to Apple Music and I just kind of, I didn't sort of understand how it works. So I just sort of type in, I would find a song and then I just listen to that song and then I'd find another song and then I'd listen to that song and then I'd find another song. And I was like, this is kind of annoying. And then if you wanted to get back to the song you just listened to before you turned it off, it wouldn't be there. And that was kind of annoying.
0: Well, yeah, it's just a matter of using the interface. Apple Music, bizarrely, given how good Apple ordinarily is with user interfaces and ease of use. Not that great. Apple Music is terrible. The only reason mm-hmm. I've got it is because we've got multiple devices at home and I you find- can't stream on two devices at once. I've
1: so- find like Finding a podcast on Apple Podcasts is hard too. Terrible. Terrible. Yeah. I don't know why it's like that.
0: I'm actually using a third-party app for podcasts called Overcast because so oh. I just found the latest user interface of the 2017-18 podcast app to be so unintuitive. Yeah. It's useless. It's cumbersome. So I use Overcast. That's a platform-neutral third-party app. Awesome.
1: Could you find this podcast on there quite easily?
0: Easily. I think it was like ranked number one. Yeah. <laughs> but what's cool about it is that it'll actually give you options as to how fast you want to play it back. So you can play it back in increments of like 10%, uh, like 1.2. Instead of 1.5. 1.1, 1. yeah. There's a button called shortens silences. So it uses AI, artificial intelligence, to see where there's like gaps and it closes those gaps. It speeds up through those gaps. So, you can hear this, the- Just so you can get that much more efficient. Yeah, yeah, Does it cut out the ads? There aren't any ads. But there aren't any ads on podcasts, podcasts either.
1: Oh, uh, the ones I listen to, yeah, there are.
0: Oh, they're all built in though. So, they're all built in. Oh, they're okay. not added like a pre-roll like YouTube. They're just baked in Now, let's hear from our sponsors and then yeah. they go- Mailchimp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stamps.com. Yeah. Look, I think subscription services are pretty cool myself because it suits me. I will always prefer to pay a small amount of money- preferably small amount, to avoid ads. I want to basically, I like buffet, so I want to be able to yeah. choose what I want. I like stuff on demand. I don't want to be told what to listen to, which is why I can't stand radio. And I also like the fact that I can download songs on all those services onto my devices as well, and then my phone or whatever for three months or whatever, so I can listen to them offline if I'm out of range or anything, yeah. or I want to avoid eating data. I can throw them on Sonos, in a heartbeat, Sonos has been a game changer in our house. You can't do those easily with non-subscription services. You can, but it's just convenient, sort of
1: convenient. Okay. So, with your Sonos, can you can you put a CD in a CD player and play it through your Sonos? I think so, but You'd, have to, I have, your, know. I you'd think, have to have your CD player hooked up to the
0: mothership of the Sonos. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole point was they were all sort of hard media orientated originally, mm. but now everyone's on... Spotify or Apple Music. So, there'd
1: be a few outlets and inlets in the back of one of the speakers for you to do that probably.
0: Yeah, exactly. But the way we use it is it uses Wi-Fi in the house. So, we can actually, we pull it up. But you just play it through your phone. And it sends it via Wi-Fi. But if my partner's playing something on it, I pull up on my phone, it'll show what she's playing so I can also stop it or jump to the next song as well. Mm. So you can basically pull up on any device in the house and change tracks. You
1: can turn her crap off and put your banging beats
0: on. Exactly. Oh, I can play two different streams and play my banging beats in half the house and she can play her stuff in the other half. Game changer.
1: Edie Brickell, feminist feminist folk <laughs> in the front of the house. Who
0: Janice Joplin. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs>
1: well, that's interesting because it's more you do wonder now like what, what do artists- What's Where's the incentive for someone to actually write 12 songs? Do you know what I mean? Where's the incentive to write 12 songs, record it, mix it, publicise it? Why not just write three?
0: Well, I suppose the more you do anything, the higher the chance something will take off. So, the more songs you do, increasing the odds of one of those songs popping. So, there's that. I guess the more songs you do, the more opportunities on somewhere like YouTube for you to be seen and heard.
1: Like I was saying before, like from any big album in in the past, you're guaranteed to get at least four, sometimes up to six singles. That chart reasonably well, get a lot of airplay. And often it's not the first one that's the biggest hit. It'll be like the second or third that sort of gets more popular over time. I guess, yeah, if you wrote 12 songs for an album and you release six of them, three of them might get popular. If you only write three songs, people might not like either of them and then you're fucked. Yeah, I just sort of wonder now, like, do artists put out albums for themselves, for the record company, for their fans or... You must kind of wonder. I think what's, what's, the, what's the point? I just put out 3 songs. You could write 3 songs a year, couldn't you, with a few big international Swedish producers.
0: But this is the point, isn't it? Any million bucks a song? Most of those huge artists don't write their own music. I mean, yeah. Elton John doesn't write his own music. Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, none of those people. They're all ma- all those the guys lyrics, all the music.
1: All those guys, their songs are written by Calvin Harris or those Swedish guys mm-hmm. who
0: write all of Pink stuff. Ed Sheeran wrote for Bieber, I think, beforehand, before he broke out on his own. So, and I think it's actually even more necessary than before because all of these artists have to tour to make money Mm -hmm. because they can't make money by selling stuff to subscription services or for iTunes downloads because they make no money on that at all. Okay. So, that stuff's basically free publicity for their tour, which means they're out touring more than they did before, which means they've got to have someone back at home if they're a pop star opposed to being a indie band writing all their stuff for them so when they get back into LA. But that's what I mean. Maybe
1: that's why they write albums because for every album you write, that's another tour you can do because people go, okay, well, you might play six of your new songs with – Eighteen of your old ones, or twelve of your old ones. So the more songs you write, the more tours you can go on. The more the more songs you got to play live. You know, a lot of bands who release one 35 minute CD when they go for on a tour, they can only play for an hour because that's pay a couple of covers to pat it out for an hour.
0: If you pepper songs out every year, opposed to every three years, that means you can tour and possibly if you go back to the same place two years later, attract. The same fan again who wants mm. to hear that new song, just that new song. And that two years, you've also had them following you on Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook as well. So they're there not just for the actual music; they're there for the experience because they feel like they know you in and out. They've seen you on holiday with Tom Hillston. They've seen you frolicking at the beach at yeah. Christmas time overseas. So they've been part of your world. Yeah. So you come back to the world. it's like Christmas time, right? You are back and see the family. You go back again. One, maybe two new songs. I think it's just all about keeping that wheel, the potter's Mm. wheel turning, right? Yeah. Because if you stop, that wheel slows down. It's really hard to start up again. And you just maintain that open dialogue with your fans through social media. And the music's just, it's just like a kind of adrenaline injection. It's a vitamin B shot just to kind of keep things charged up. Mm. And you just keep going. And then you have your manager and the producers and songwriters writing all the stuff for you all the time. And basically, there is no lull. Your lull is a holiday in Jamaica for two weeks, but you're always, and even then you're probably tweeting it and Instagramming it, and you're always on. Or
1: oh, tipping off the paps to yeah. come and photograph you inconspicuously. Yeah, but opposed to the
0: day where you maybe write an album, like you two, you tour for a year, then you basically might spend two years writing another album. Would they release an album every- Three, every two. They were pretty prolific at one stage.
1: Yeah. I mean, there used to be a bit of a cycle where a band would have a big breakthrough album and then they would tour it for two and a half years, get really rich, go buy a massive house somewhere, start dating supermodels. Like Jet. Yeah, like Jet, like the Stone Roses, someone like that. Even a bit like the Kings of Leon, someone like that. And then they would they would just get so sick of touring that they would just want to go and date a model and lie on a beach somewhere for a year. Maybe shambles. And then before you know it, five years have gone by and they're getting sick of everyone saying, when are you going to put another album out? When are you going to put another album out? And then, like I said before, then you get back in the studio and you're like, shit, we haven't done this for like six years. We wrote that album when we were 21 and didn't know any better. Now we're like 28 and all the- grinding the gears of the big record company machine and there's all of a sudden there's like 50 people telling you what to do and how to record it and play your guitar this way and sing your song that way and then it's just yeah it's interesting
0: well i think this is the attraction of this idea of being an in-house employee at somewhere like a Las Vegas casino comes into play. Yeah. Like what are your
1: thoughts on that? So you can just go and you don't have to put out any – if you've got a bit of a back catalogue now, you don't have to tour it anymore. Yep, Celine Dion, and Britney you Spears. You don't have to put out a, a Greatest Hits album and tour of that or put out a new album to tour it. You can just go and play your Greatest Hits to a new set of fans five nights a week. At the Planet Hollywood, like Britney or Celine, I think Gwen Stefani's now doing a residency. J Lo, I think, is also doing a residency in Vegas.
0: It's very attractive. They get paid a bucket load. They get routines. They can see their kids. Their kids can go to the same school. Yeah. They trade off the excitement of being around different countries. But let's face it. If they were travelling around the world anyway, they're probably going to be, you know, working from dawn to dusk on the show. They're not sightseeing around Stockholm or enjoying quiet uh, walks yeah, through the it. street in Portugal. They're dropping into a place. They're being chauffeur driven to venues. They're not actually seeing the world. They've been at a few talk shows when they're there. Yep. They probably spend one or two hours if they're in Sydney one or two hours max at Circular key on the harbour, and that's it. They'll do a bridge climb for two hours or go on a boat for lunch or something. That's about it. And they'll be filmed the whole time for a program or something, so they're not quite relaxed. Whereas if, say, Britney Spears, Celine Dion, Gwen Stefani do five nights a week, okay, it's five nights a week. There isn't the variety doing the same show, but guess what? That's what most people do in their lives. <laughs> they work- Monday yeah. to of Friday, often doing very similar work, getting paid one percent of what they're getting paid. These guys, yeah, these guys are getting paid to entertain. And even if they get sick of singing those same songs, I'm pretty sure the money's going to help that jagged little pill go down. They're
1: probably getting I don't know what these people get five, ten million dollars a year. Nah,
0: yeah, I think Celine Dion almost like a forty million dollar four year deal, so that's about ten million a year. And that, by the way, imagine the merch she sells, the merchandise. Yeah, she get a cut of CDs. all that. That She would basically have CDs for sale, which is totally unnecessary because people would go down to, you know, pick up their phone and just buy it on iTunes. I bet you she sells signed CDs mm-hmm. and all of her T-shirts At a outside, premium. At a premium and all of her T-shirts and whatever. She'd make a fortune from merchandise, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. There's probably some sort of deal where you'd have dinner with her or sit very close to the front and perhaps there's- an extra charge. Maybe she doesn't see that. but She's making ten million bucks a year. Yeah. So I don't begrudge them for that at all.
1: I mean, it's been going on for a long time. Like people got famous in um, Glenn Campbell and these types back in the day. Kenny Rogers and I don't know. They all did sort of residency style gigs in. Did they really? Vegas for a long period of time. I'm sure. I thought it was a new thing. No, it's been going on for a long time. You know, you'd have these entertainers who would just do. Months at a time. But certainly, I think it's a new thing having people who are famous without Vegas, like an Elton John doing
0: it for six months of the year. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's the scale of the fame. It's the people who you think are above that. Because in some ways- yeah. it. Does feel like it's keeping a exotic parrot in a cage.
1: Yeah. But I just, it must just be because people like Elton John must have such huge outgoings that someone says, Do you want to keep playing live? And yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do it for 10 million bucks for a year. Why wouldn't
0: I? It's probably name your price. It's yeah. like basically they get so much money, it's an offer they can't refuse.
1: And you might do a couple of weddings for a couple of Saudi princes during the year for another couple of million and. It's interesting.
0: The other thing which I think is interesting, and this is all in lieu of losing conventional income through good old-fashioned CD sales. Besides the popularity of those Las Vegas casino gigs, the other big money earner for these guys now is being a judge on- uh, Talent shows. Talent shows. Yeah. Like, how many are there now? But, like, when you say there's some big names, like you mentioned J-Lo before doing Vegas, people like J-Lo would have been way too above- in a snobbish way, being a judge in a freaking reality TV show. Well,
1: you look who it used to be. It was like Paula Abdul. Yeah, exactly. Like she was, she was the
0: one of the original Idol judges. And without being Wilson. sounding too harsh to Paula, respect. But having said that, they were usually washed-up, semi-famous faces. Who could forget opposites attract? Exactly. Great use of cartoon, two-dimensional animation with a real person, just like Roger Rabbit. Exactly. It's cutting edge. It's of its time, but. That's an interesting point. You're perfectly right. Like Abdul, uh, Paul Abdul. Abdul? I'm happy for you to run with Abdul. <laughs> Paul Abdul? It's a great example where that would have been- She would have been a coup at, at the time. time. When they first started that show, they would go, oh, wow, I've got someone who's actually really famous. Now, they want like Katy Perry, someone who's actually famous right now.
1: Don't quote me on this, but I think Paul Abdul was spotted when she was Janet Jackson's dance coach.
0: I thought she was a backup dancer, but I think you're right. Either way, she was a supporting player who became famous in her own right. Yeah. Someone said, hey. Speaking of uh, famous in your own right or not, what had happened to the third Destiny child?
1: Michelle Williams.
0: No, that's Heath Ledger's ex-wife.
1: I think it's Michelle someone.
0: So, there was- Obviously, Beyonce. Kelly Rowland, who's, Kelly now on, who's now a judge on The Voice Australia. Oh, really? So she's really- Yeah. Okay.
1: Speak of the devil.
0: Well, it's really funny, isn't it? Though? Like, that would be a step down from The Voice in the US, but she'd be paid a pretty penny. Couple mil. Exactly. She'd
1: put up in some swanky apartment in Bondi or something.
0: Yep. It'd be a situation where she wouldn't have any outgoings at all. There'd be a huge rider and everything's paid for and all she'd the have money a, is.
1: She'd have all her assistance here and whatever.
0: Yeah, Totally. I think she was a bit one. of a,
1: I think she was a bit of a god botherer. The third one. Um,
0: so those waterfalls really worried her.
1: Um, Don't go <laughs> chase some waterfalls. That's a different band. Which band is <laughs> that? TLC. TLC. Sorry. Or as Weird Al Yankovic once said, "Don't go making phony calls."
0: <laughs> I reckon there's a market for Weird Al to come back, but I think that Weird Al has been—is it upsurped? usurped, usurped? Mm. Usurped. Usurped. I think Weird Al has been usurped by YouTube parodies. I think we're an era where there are enough people doing Weird Al for free that Weird Al- Al The Weird Al stuff is quality. It is. And he he came back a couple of years ago with something, I can't recall what, but it was very funny, but I hadn't heard it from him for a long time. (laughs) Speaking of CD purchases,
1: I do have Weird Al Yankovic's greatest hit CD. On your shelf. I used to keep it in the car it was good really? it was good to listen to in the car have a bit of a chuckle really a bit of a sing along <laughs> yeah
0: so you'd be listening to a parody of an era 20 years ago yeah, would you have flashbacks to you at the time? Did you like look through the windscreen and see like in the nineteen nineties and eighties? Oh
1: no, but Weirdo, yes, Weirdo he's quite prolific. Like he's still putting out new stuff, so it's he's very contemporary as well. Really? Yeah. I mean, sure, his biggest hits were you know just to eat it or something instead of beat it, but and there was fat, you know, yeah. fat. He did a lot of mock with Jackson ones, but um, yeah, he's done Backstreet Boys, he's done Avril Lavigne, and you know. Even those names there are probably 15 years old now. Yeah. yeah. Where's Avril Levine now? She got Crohn's disease or- um, Oh, no. Did she? One of those- Really? Chronic fatigue or something like that. Ah, right. She married the lead singer from Nickelback. No.
0: Really? Yeah. The most hated and parodied band on planet Earth. There are whole bits and skits and sketches- Yeah. And gags about not just Nickelback, but the people that like Nickelback. Yeah. Like, that's how much they're or reviled.
1: about the guys in Nickelback laughing at people who laugh at them. Really? And just going, ha-ha. Like,
0: it's so meta. Yeah. It's almost just like,
1: fuck you. Look how much money we've got. We don't care. Yeah. Hate us all you want kind of thing.
0: Well, the Nazis are very rich after, like, murdering people and taking their money. <laughs> <laughs> so Yes. <laughs> Is that a long bow to draw between Probably. Nazis and Nickelback? Probably a bit long. <laughs> Isn't it? I don't understand the whole Nickelback band, but nor do I really care for or have an interest in the Nickelback outs But i find it very funny how passionate the Nickelback fans are yeah I think the reason why they're paid out so much is because they're so defensive right So it basically it's this symbolic relationship between the comedians and the fans where they take great pride in being nickelback fans and defending the band and thus that kind of just is fuel for the fire for comedians to roll them up.
1: Well you know how now people who think they're a little bit cool will wear ironically wear a Metallica t-shirt or a Metallica. Or a Guns N' Roses t-shirt. Guns N' Roses is more likely. Or a Ramones. Or Def Leppard. Or Ramones or Def Leppard or something a little bit.
0: A band that was like second tier back then. Yeah. So, who was the performer that left Metallica and started up? Megadeth. Dave Dave Mustaine. Yeah, Megadeth. Yeah, Megadeth Megadeth would be a good example where it's like, well, you're into Metallica, but I'm Megadeth. I'm I'm authentic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've been here in second position on the uh, plate here the whole time. I'm more loyal than you are. Because he's more, he never sold out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or oh, it's harder being second for that long than being number one. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny when you see these t-shirts at certain companies like Uniqlo or Gap or H&M, which is a vintage t-shirt where they're taking the same print, the distressed cotton. You see a lot with Star Wars. Mm. So, it's like the, the original Star Wars kind of print on a t-shirt. My son's got a few of them, which they look like they could have come straight out of the 80s or 70s. And so, you see those with bands as well, released by a major international, multinational, like H&M. Yeah. It'll be like Pearl Jam. Yeah. Or
1: Megadeth. Hey, speaking of Metallica, I was just reminded about how they were one of the main opponents of streaming back in the Napster days. Didn't they sue Napster? Yeah,
0: they did. They did. They sued Napster. And what was interesting back then, that they led the whole thing. Who was the blonde Danish-
1: Lars Ulrich, the um, drummer. he was the the main sort of
0: voice. He was the main sort of spokesperson for for Metallica. And and he was actually raked out the coals Mm. for all of that. Yeah. It's interesting now because back then, I think they were seen as being richy-rich. Greedy. Scrooge McDuck elitist. Yeah. Complaining about- A few people stealing a few pennies Mm. when they had bags of pounds. Mm. You know, they were like swinging in a Scrooge McDuck style swimming pool full of gold coins and complaining about a few cents being taken. like they are seriously loaded. But (laughs) since then, of course, technology improved. Pirating became even more prevalent than it was then. And they were essentially proved right. But they were totally like crucified. What happened with Napster? They got bought out and shut down. Dude, haven't you seen sexy Justin Timberlake in the Social Network movie? Give yeah. that spill from his bedroom as Dakota Johnson walks off in her cheeky short, short undies, her boy leg undies, and works out that he's Sean Parker, yeah, the guy behind Napster.
1: I'd remember that, but I don't think it explains what happened in Napster, does it?
0: No, I'm just talking about <laughs> Dakota Fanning in her undies. No, it's briefly referenced. Shortly afterwards, where he talks about Napster going under, but the point was he said his point was to totally blow up the system. Mm -hmm. And I think someone, uh, what was the name of Mark Zuckerberg's colleague or mate that he sued? I'm just blanking on his name, but the guy that he sued.
1: Played by Andrew Garfield. Played by Andrew Garfield.
0: Yeah. He then kind of counters because he's a bit suspicious about Sean Parker in the movie and counters and says, yeah, but, like, you were sued and where's Napster now? Right. And he counters with this awesome line where he says, do you see anyone opening up a Tower Records Right, okay, right. And it's a great line because it's so true. Like, no one's opening up a CD shop. In fact, they've all closed down, like, video, easy, blockbuster. Maybe we should have started this topic with
1: some Napster info. That could be a topic for another week.
0: Yeah, it could be, but- I think the point is that it disrupted everything so mm. much so that that then had a ripple effect where Steve Jobs went to these bloodied and injured music labels in the US, basically the global music labels, and said, here's a deal. I've got this thing called iTunes. Uh, at the moment, a few small third parties sell these big bulky MP3 players. Microsoft released the Zune, I think it said U-N-E play, which was like a kind of prototype for the iPod. Didn't take off, obviously. And he went to them and said, I'm setting set up a store, the iTunes store, I'm calling it, and people can buy a single for like 99 cents. That's the emotional marketing price that just mm. works well. And they all scoffed and said, no way, we're selling our singles. Back to your conversation about singles and albums before. We sell singles now for $7.99. Yeah. Or $6.99. We're not going to sell them for 99 cents. And he just counted and just said, right now, you're getting killed by piracy and getting nothing. Yep. So, why not get some sense on the dollar than mm. nothing at all? Mm. And because he was Steve Jobs with his reality distortion field, his great marketing technique, and they didn't quite have the same clout back then as they do now, but they were building. He just said, this is an opportunity where you need to be aware that if you don't do anything, you'll make no money. So, why yeah. not make some, some money? money. And I've got to say, and I'm yabbering a bit about Apple tonight, but I do think that the lesson of iTunes is the same lesson that movie studios should heed, and that is you're getting killed by piracy, piracy is wrong, piracy is bad. Nonetheless, at the moment, Hmm. it can't be stopped. Therefore, why not try and find a way to get together and find a solution better than what you've got right now to sell stuff you've got to accept. This is what I'd say to the studios. You've got to accept that you're going to make less money than you did before. The good times are over. They're just over forever. The question is, are you gonna make a little money or no money? And the music industry decided to make a little money. And they never recovered, but had they not done that, I think it's arguable they would have been decimated much, much more. And so at least they've remained in a skeleton form, opposed to actually like totally being obliterated.
1: I don't know how they ever made that much money in the first place from those. I mean you used to hear these stories about REM signed some huge deal. With Sony or someone to make a five-album deal for eighty million dollars, and yeah, it was nineteen ninety-six. I think that was wasn't it? And their album sales were just steadily, steadily get lesser and less. And then in the end, the company just basically gave up trying to get them to make anything remotely commercial, yeah. and they didn't
0: care. They totally cashed in before everything collapsed. I think it was 96 where they signed that five-year deal. Yeah. And I think their album at the time hadn't made more than their previous album, which was a bad sign.
1: It would have been after Automatic for the People, I reckon, probably.
0: Yeah. And then I'm not sure if they've even released five albums since then, but- and they then, probably have, but they were, they were all, you know, steadily selling yeah. half and, as much as one before. And maybe they were just obligatory releases to try and satisfy that deal. Mm. And I recall when Robbie Williams did that huge deal and in the press release, he just basically kind of, I think he did like a fist pump or he flexed his guns, his hands, his biceps and basically said, I'm rich. Yeah. Because he signed some huge 20 million pound deal or something mm. Mm. in the early 2000s, I think. Mm. I'm not sure if he released all five albums or not, but it was just something insane at the time. And I think that made him one of the richest individual stars in the world. And that seems like only yesterday. No, it's probably 15 years ago. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. Those deals are a thing of the past, aren't they? Well, they don't need to. That's the thing is that they can sign a young person today and they don't need to pay them that much money. Because that personally, they do stuff for free on YouTube anyway. Yeah. Which is how half of them seem to be discovered. Or they'll sell stuff individually through SoundCloud or Bandcamp. Or they'll just be getting their own followers half through the music, half through bikini shots. Yeah. On Instagram or something. Like you can almost cut out the middleman of the studio, of the label, mm. and just go your own way. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's easier, but you don't need them as you once did. You don't have to play 350
1: gigs a year like you used to and totally. get, to get word of mouth. You can just put out a couple of catchy songs yeah. on YouTube.
0: It's kind of like, I think it's really encouraging, really depressing is yeah. that now anyone, like right now we're podcasting from your lounge room. We can be heard on any smartphone in the entire world. And- if only. <laughs> no, we, we actually can. But so can the person who lives on that side of you and person lives on that side of you. And that means that everyone can do it. And the problem is that everyone can do it. And the guy next door recording his own farts and putting it out as the fart podcast. Yeah, probably
1: getting more listeners. Probably getting more listeners. <laughs> Basta. Oh mate, I'm going to go and eat some baked beans and start my own new podcast. <laughs> I've just had a brainwave.
0: <laughs> I want you to sing the song. Um- Baked beans good for your heart. The more you eat, the more you fart. Oh. But actually toot that. Oh, now you're talking. <laughs> that can be the special <laughs> subscriber-only edition. Yeah, that's right. Perhaps if you can record that for our next opening theme next week. <laughs>
1: okay. Um, See what uh, I can do.
0: Should we call it a wrap? Okay, mate. I'll catch up with you later. Peace out.